Well, thank you once again for joining us as we continue uh, in our series in First Peter. We're going to pick up from where we left off last week, uh, where we launched into this New Testament letter and looked at the first 12 verses of chapter 1. And I hope that in the days since then, maybe you've had time to go over uh, some of those verses and enjoy that passage again, either on your own or, or with your life group. And there's certainly one thing clear as we embark on this series, um, and that's that we'll never be able to say all there is to say about these passages when we gather together like this on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so I, I would encourage you to keep on reading, spending time in First Peter uh, outside of Sundays if you can. It's definitely going to be true again in today's passage. Uh, but we're continuing, as I said, through the, the rest of chapter 1. We're going to start into chapter 2 a little bit as we continue this series, Stand Firm. And as we saw last week, we've given that title to this series because one of the reasons that Peter is writing to uh, this group of first century Christians scattered all over what is now northern Turkey was to encourage them to keep holding on to their faith in the midst of suffering and persecution and alienation from the world outside the church. And it's clear for those of us who follow Jesus today uh, that, that we seek to be, as we seek to be faithful to his teaching and living that out in the world that we find ourselves in, uh, we find ourselves in a similar position to these first century Christians. Now possibly not under the, the immediate threat and physical threat that were to come for these first believers, um, nor on, are we under the same level of, of persecution and fear that many of our brothers and sisters around the world have been facing for, for generations and still face today. Um, but nonetheless, we, we are seeking to follow Jesus in a world which is increasingly antagonistic towards him and his teaching. Uh, and so therefore, the message of First Peter is incredibly timely for us uh, and important if we are to stand firm in Jesus and for him. And last week we saw how God was equipping his people with an understanding of, of who they are and whose they are. Uh, they were exiles temporarily removed from their, their rightful place of citizenship in heaven. They, they were elect. God had chosen them. He had saved them by his grace through the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. Uh, they were holders of an inheritance that would never perish or spoil or fade. They'd been given new birth into a living hope. Uh, their salvation was being shielded by God through the trials and suffering that they were experiencing. And, and their eternal security in him was unquestionable. That, that's who they were. They were the people of God and that is true for us. We are the people of God. And being God's people is important. Knowing whose you are is vital when it comes to standing firm. See, we know that God is the one, as we read in these verses, uh, in the first 12 verses of chapter 1, we know that God is the one who raised Christ from the dead. He's more powerful than any threat or any foe that might come our way. Uh, he's the one who will receive all the praise and honour and glory that's due his name in the end. He, he is the giver of this lasting and eternal joy, and even in the midst of acute pain and sorrow now. This is our God. This is the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of all glory. So Christian, stand firm, knowing who you are and whose you are. Uh, and one of the things I finished with last week was uh, saying that, that we need to make sure that we allow that knowledge of who we are and whose we are to impact our actions so yes, know who you are and whose you are and then live your life like you know it. And that's not intended just to be a, a soundbite or a throwaway comment. It's actually a key message throughout Peter's letter and we're going to come back to it strongly today. It's a point that Peter keeps coming back to indeed throughout all of the chapters that we'll see. You see, who you are impacts your behaviour. In fact, understanding your identity drives your behaviour. Uh, this reality hit home to me 
uh, recently really in a very very simple way our Sam who, who's now coming up on three and a half can you believe it uh, he absolutely loves to to reenact stories or, or to role play games uh, and generally speaking it, it often starts with dad let's wrestle and before long uh, I'm a T-Rex and he's a Velociraptor or or maybe I'm a baddie and he's a goodie and whatever story happens to be in his mind uh, but what I find fascinating about it is how quickly he can switch into that role if he says that he's the baddie then his his frow burrows his teeth grit and and he gets really ready and, and immerses himself into it but then halfway through he might, he might switch his role and say okay well now I'm friendly and, and his his whole demeanor changes uh, and the role changes instantly and it strikes me that a three and a half year old can get this Sam understands that who he is will impact and be demonstrated by the way he behaves he knows that the identity of the character is then going to be demonstrated in his behavior identity drives behavior now if that's true of a three-year-old having a play wrestle with his dad how much more should we see that in the lives of those of us who follow Jesus Remember what we saw last week, as Christians we are saved, we are called, we are exiles, we're given a new birth into a living hope. We've got an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. Surely this identity should drive our behaviour. And what we'll see today is yes, categorically yes it should. Even the first word that we'll read in verse 13 gives us that impression. Therefore, verse 13 starts with, so we can tell that what is going to come from verse 13 on is based on and going to be outworked from verses 1 to 12. So God, through Peter's pen, is going to show us that the knowledge of who we are and whose we are is then going to shape how we live. And for those of us who've been around Gilnherk Baptist for a while, uh, for any length of time, you'll, you'll know that this idea isn't new to you. We've encountered it many times before, particularly through the New Testament letters that we've looked at. So think of portions of Ephesians or Colossians as examples where the Apostle Paul lays out this truth of the transformative grace of God, that grace that we don't deserve, that he gives to us as a gift, and that has brought us from death to life, from enemies of God to then children of his and as a result of that new identity, then the apostle lays out the behaviour and the attitudes which flow from it. And this is the pattern that we see in Peter's writing too. Our identity shapes our behaviour. Who we are shapes how we're to live. If I could put it another way, the hope that we have leads to holiness. The grace that we've received gives birth to godliness. And so we're going to read our way through First Peter uh, one starting in chapter 1 verse 13 reading our way through to chapter uh, 2 verse 3 uh, and we'll read through it and we're specifically going to watch how our identity and our behavior are interwoven and so let's begin in verse 13 of chapter 1 therefore as we've already mentioned that this shows that this section flows on from what we looked at last week that the knowledge of who we are and whose we are is going to be the basis of what comes next that, that that whole rich and, and glorious section about our identity in him and how our saving father holds us and keeps us that has an inglorious inheritance that awaits us uh, how that eternal understanding helps us as we go through suffering and trial because we know that he is accomplishing something in the midst of it this world is not our true and lasting home and based on all of that wonderful truth therefore and verse 13 continues with minds that are alert and fully sober Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 
can you see, can you see the, the decisive nature of what's described here? Minds that are alert and fully sober, or the ESV translates that, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. You can see the emphasis that God is showing us here, that we can't simply drift through our Christian life. But, but we're to be actively engaged. We're to be thinking carefully and decisively and, and biblically about how we are to live. Uh, and these active, sharp minds, we're to set our hope on the grace. We're very decisively to set our hope. That is where our hope is to be grounded and planted on the grace that we know that we are experiencing and will see in its fullness when Jesus is revealed. So there's our, our first pointer to how our identity is leading to, to decisive behaviour and, and purposeful actions. Minds that are alert, fully sober, set your hope. Let's move on then through verse 14. As obedient children, there, there we have our identity, as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see our identity leading to behaviour. Our grace giving birth to godliness as obedient children. And that is who you are as a follower of Jesus. You are welcomed into God's family, adopted by the King of Kings. You are his child. And as his children, then there are things that we do and don't do in, in this family. Not simply because of dutiful obedience, although that is important. But, but that obedience is formed by our identity. It, it's who we are. We are children, we, we, we carry the family name, if you like. We, we know the love and the grace and the mercy and the salvation of our Father God. Therefore, we don't want to live and follow the sinful desires of what we used to do when we were ignorant of him and his grace and love and salvation. Who we are shapes how we live. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance continues verse 15 16 but just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because i am holy just as he who called you is holy we have been called by the holy god and in doing so he has made a way for us to stand before him as holy that's what the cross won for us now I sometimes think we can read these words that we are to be holy and, and we can sometimes think, hang on, holy? Me? That, 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 there's no way I can be holy. That, that's far too high a bar for me to be able to reach. And that's right. In our own strength, and our own ability, we cannot make ourselves holy before God. But the Holy One has called us. He has made a way for that sin that we have, which keeps us from his holiness, to be dealt with fully and finally. And therefore we can stand before him as holy. It's what we read about now through the rest of verse 18 through to verse 21. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. Redeemed from the empty way of life, that is when we lived in ignorance, that is when we lived in sin. But with the precious blood of Christ, which has redeemed us, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. We have been redeemed and our, and our redemption, that, that 
that wiping away of our sin and the gift of righteousness that we're granted through faith in what Jesus has done, it's all only possible because the Holy God has made the way. Christ was the the sinless sacrifice who took on sin, our sin in his death. The, The penalty that we were due to pay has been paid by him on our behalf, in our place. It's what we celebrate every week as we gather around the communion table, where we remember Christ, our atoning sacrifice. He was was sacrificed so that we might be free from sin. We might be welcomed into God's family. We may be redeemed by him. We may be given hope and life and faith. What good news this is. And this is who we are. This is our identity. If If you have trusted in Jesus and therefore we stand before God clothed in Christ's righteousness, not our own. And God's command is therefore live out that identity. Be holy, for I am holy, and it's his holiness that makes us holy. We are his children, he's given us this great gift of salvation, so let's live it out. And part of living that out is to leave the old sinful nature behind. In, in the words of Hebrews 12, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We're to throw off, we're to run with perseverance, we're to let go of all of the sin that we, that we carried, that Christ has paid for in fullness so that we can now stand clothed in his righteousness. And now I know that we're still living in the tension of of facing temptation and sin. And we struggle sometimes to do this throwing off. It's not always easy to leave that sin behind. Some of the the attitudes and behaviours are easier to strip off than others. But the compulsion from God through his word is consistently, do it anyway. Even when it's hard to throw off that sin, it is worth it. It is his call, it is the call to faithful discipleship to throw off. And do it because he saved you by his spirit. He saved you, his spirit is now at work in you, sanctifying you, guiding you into his truth. That's who you are. And so take action based on who you are. Let your identity drive your behaviour. Let who you are shape how you live. And I know that can be a much easier thing to say than it is a process to go through as we try to to rid ourselves of these things. Because some of the things that we struggle with, they go deep into our hearts and into our lives. And God knows we'll struggle with that too. And he's given us plenty of encouragement in his word. And we see that again here, picking up in verse 22. Let's see some of the encouragement from God of, of how we can and why we should throw off. Verse 22, now that, you have been, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. It's interesting here, isn't it, that into this context uh, we're called to love one another. We're called that as a, as a result of God's work within our lives that will overflow into love for one another. You see, as God is at work within us, As we obey his truth, as we're purified by him in these words, then we begin to understand one another's struggles better. We long for our brothers and sisters to know the truth and the freedom in Christ that we're walking in. 
And so we, we want them to know more of him. And therefore, in this lifelong process of, of seeking to grow in godliness, we support one another. We encourage one another. We help one another in the, the sometimes painful fight of battling sin and, and bearing one another's burdens. It's a beautiful picture of what we're, seeing, what we're shown here of sincere love. Love one another deeply from the heart. And it flows out of God's work in our lives for then love for one another. Let's move on. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. See again, we're getting a reminder here from God of the eternal and enduring work that he's involved in. That our salvation is for the long haul. It's for all eternity with him. And so we're his and we will be his forever. This, this is the good word that those of us who know Jesus have heard and responded to and are seeking to live out. And so in light of this glorious eternal perspective, then start of verse 2, or chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can you see the flow of that? And in light of who you are, in light of the eternity that you've been brought into, let your life be shaped by his grace. Therefore, get rid of the things that that seem to offer such temporary satisfaction and replace that craving and that desire with the good and the true that God has for you. And in doing so, may we grow up in our salvation. There's a sense of maturing and a process here that's ongoing as we follow Jesus for all of our lives. And I find that thought so helpful because it shows that we're not finished articles yet. That we all still battle with sin. We still struggle with the old self. But there is so much hope because God hasn't finished with us yet. We, we may feel like we're newborn babies, but we're not going to stay like that. We're going to grow and mature and develop as Christians. And God will provide all of the sustenance, all of that spiritual milk that we need for that growth. As we crave him, as we desire him more than the sins that used to entice us. And Peter mentions some of those sins and, and maybe you can relate to the things that he specifically names here. I don't think this is in any way meant to be an exhaustive list, uh, as if this is the only these are the only things that anyone will ever struggle with. I certainly know that my struggles aren't all contained in this short list, but the point is clear: whatever sin it is that we're entertaining, we are to get rid of it. That that behaviour doesn't marry with our identity as God's children. Rid yourselves of it. So, so whatever issue God may be laying on your heart this morning, I know, as does he, that these things aren't always easy to lay down. In fact, they're, they're sometimes painful for us. But lay them down, we must. Maybe your struggle is, is listed here. Maybe your struggle is with finances and the, the draw of material things. Maybe it's with relationships that are not helpful or not godly. Maybe it's something deeply destructive that's got a hold of your heart 
Maybe it's pride or, or gambling or, or envy or pornography addiction or, or wishing failure on your colleagues so that you can succeed. These things and so many more, they're so deeply seated within us. Therefore, they can be painful to rip them out of our lives. But always remember why we must, why we're called to do that difficult work. It's because of who we are. We are God's children and his ways will always bring deeper and more lasting joy as we see in verse 3 we know we have tasted that the Lord is good the Lord is good and his ways are good and so even when those ways seem very contrary to our our own sinful desires or the priorities of the world around us his ways are good and right and true they lead to life they lead to growth in him and so if God is leaning on your heart this morning with an issue that you know that he's asking you to deal with please don't head into this week without doing that Sit with him, confess to him, plead with him for his help and his strength to rid yourself of those things. But remember in doing all of that, you you don't walk that road alone. Not only is God with you, providing all that you need for that journey of ridding yourself and maturing in him. But he has also graciously provided us with his family, with, with one another. And I know this may be more complicated with social distancing and all that stuff, but, but know that God has placed you in a family here with, with brothers and sisters who are seeking to be, are seeking to show that, that, that full and sincere and deep love by caring for one another. And so none of us need to go through this journey on our own. So maybe that means that, that you speak to someone in the car park as you leave or, or send a message and arrange a walk this afternoon to talk more deeply about what God has laid in your heart. And give me a call or one of the elders a call to chat that through. I know there are lots of internal barriers that, that stop us from doing that. Maybe it's, maybe it's our own pride or, or wondering what people might think. I know that those internal things go on. I know at the minute there's plenty of external barriers to stop that happening. Maybe it is meeting up together that we are, are restricted in doing. Or maybe it's even the fact that I'm here on video this morning and not physically present with you. But don't let any of those things get in the way of what God is doing. By his spirit, through his word, he is wanting to call us on in him. He's wanting to call us into deeper and more full life in him. And sometimes that means we have to rid ourselves of some of the stuff that we're trying to carry. Some of the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance the race that he has marked for us. Fixing our eyes on him. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. And the reason we do all that. It's because we know and we have tasted that he is good. Our eternity is with him. So let's live our lives now in the fullest way we can know him. By surrendering all of ourselves to him. And so God is calling us to, to allow who we are to shape how we live. And as we come to a close this morning, let me go back to that illustration that I started with, with, with Sam inviting me for a wrestle. See, it's true in that setting that, that the identity we take on impacts our, our behavior, yes. But of course, we know that in that setting, it's pretend, it's, it's an act. It's a role that we play in those moments. Um, but for those of us who are following Jesus, the identity that we have in God, it is not a role that we play. It's not an act that we follow. Being a child of God, being a follower of Christ, it is, it is who you are. It is your identity at all times and in all places. It's not just when you come to church. It's not just something you put on whenever you're coming to gather with God's people. 
No, that is who you are. So let's live like it. Let's actively and decisively and purposefully live every moment like we know who we are and whose we are. And in doing so, we'll find strength to stand firm, even when there's pressure from uh, either within or from around us to, to not stand firm. We know because of who we are and we are living out who we are, that we will know God's strength, God's provision, because we're not putting on a role, but we are living out our genuine identity in Christ by his strength. So can I call us? In fact, God is calling us to be alert, be sober-minded, be on our guard, be ready to take action, set our hope on the grace that comes through Jesus, and let's live out our identity, our true identity as children of God. Let our hope lead to holiness. Let the grace we've received give birth to godliness. Let's allow who we are to shape how we live. And let's stand firm in him and in his goodness. And may it all be for his glory and his glory alone. Amen.